I am thankful this morning. Um, I hope you are too. We always ought to have this attitude of thanksgiving about us, right? Um, I was sitting at my aunt and uncle's house in North Little Rock on Thursday morning, and even before we got there, had received text messages from several of you. Thank you for being our pastor. I'm thankful that God has given us such a wonderful pastor. And I don't know if I could be considered wonderful or not, but that encouragement meant the world to me. Um, the, the expressions of thanksgiving and gratitude that you showed us back in October in Pastor Appreciation Month, not just me, but I know all the church staff, we know that we're appreciated and loved and that we are uh, blessed to be part of such a wonderful church family. And I can say that and mean it. And... Uh, it got me to thinking a little bit this past week as I was preparing this message about thankless jobs. You guys ever heard that phrase before? Have you ever felt like you were in the midst of a thankless job? I mean, whether it's what you do for a living or if it's just some, some chore that you had to get done or a place you had volunteered to help serve for a little while, has anyone ever felt like they're stuck in a thankless job? It's a job that you do and you go through it and you feel like nobody is ever thankful or grateful to you or for you or for what you do. In fact, many times we have the temptation to go there ourselves. I was uh, exploring in the Christian Ministries hallway at Williams Baptist College back then when I was a student there. Maybe I can feel a little bit old, right? There's been a big change since I left. But Williams Baptist, I was a student out there, and I remember walking down the Christian Ministries uh, hallway. It's where Doctors, uh, Walt, Dr. Norville, Dr. Foster, and Dr. Gore, the Christian Ministries professors, where their offices were. And hanging on the bulletin board in this hallway was an information graphic. I don't know if you'll remember this, Dr. Norville, but it was there for a little while. And it talked about the professions and occupations that provided the most satisfaction for those who worked in their respective fields. And it listed all kinds of things on this infographic. From lawyers and dentists and sanitation, garbage, garbage men, right? And uh, it also had on this list pastors or ministers and gas station attendants. And so as you looked at this infographic, it gave you the picture based upon people in their own respective fields for how satisfied they were with what they were doing in life, with their professions, with their occupation. And I loved looking at this infographic. There's all kinds of them out there if you Google them, and someone will say different things. But this one in particular, based upon the survey they conducted, said the most satisfied people in their field of occupation were ministers. It was really cool. The ones who were the least satisfied in their field of service, would you guess who it was? Gas station attendants. They had to work Thanksgiving Day. How miserable could that have been, right? So that's why you tell people thank you. That's why you let them know that they're appreciated and valued because of what they do, because of who they are. But when I looked at that infographic, I thought, man, all right. If nothing else, I'm, I'm going into the right place. But here's why ministry, Christian ministry, whether you're a pastor or a Sunday school teacher, a youth minister a van driver on Wednesday nights, in whatever area you serve the Lord in His church and for His kingdom, here's why it's rewarding. It's not because of all the people that are going to come and tell you thank you. 
It's not. It's not because of all the people who are going to recognize your great, faithful, menial service to the kingdom. Because many times, people will not even pay attention to everything that you're doing. The reason that Christian ministry, whether it's vocational or volunteer, is so fulfilling is because we know that's what God has called us to do. The work itself is the reward. I want to take you today to Luke chapter 17. I know we were there last Sunday morning, but we're going to look at verses 5 through 10 of Luke chapter 17, the passage that occurs just before the story we looked at last week. And here's the idea that Jesus is presenting in these verses. Faith-filled service produces a fulfilled spiritual life. Faith-filled service produces a fulfilled spiritual life. And listen, we're blessed to be in a church that's, that, that is filled with amazing volunteers and even a staff. Aren't you thankful for the staff folks we have? Amen. I am. That one right there. And that one right there. And that one right there. Where's Coy? Coy's over here. we got folks all over the place. Look in your church bulletin. You'll find all our church staff listed there. And we do a good job, I think, of telling people thank you for serving. But that's not the reason why we ought to keep going. We don't serve the Lord so that we can receive awards and accolades from other people. We serve the Lord because service to Him is itself rewarding. And that's what I want you to do as a Christian. And as a member of this church, I want you to serve the Lord by faith so that you have a fulfilled spiritual life. When you know you're doing what God's called you to do, it will surpass every thank you that you could receive from another human being on this earth. And so here's what Jesus does with his disciples in Luke chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. And it would obey you. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he's come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down right here to eat. But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat. Properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink. And then afterward, then you may eat and drink. He doesn't thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Father God, would you bless this time this morning as we study your word? Would you help us? To know and understand the great work that you are calling us to do throughout all of the various areas of service these church members seek to advance your kingdom. God, I pray that as you speak to our hearts this morning, we realize that serving you is the greatest calling you could ever give to us. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. In this uh, little section of Scripture, you see a discussion between Jesus and His disciples. 
the disciples make a request and then Jesus answers their request and then he gives them a parable and explains to them in application form how they ought to live their lives in light of the truth he's presented. If faith-filled service produces a fulfilled spiritual life, what is faith-filled service? I'm going to give you the two principles Jesus gave to his apostles, to his disciples here. The first principle of faith-filled service is the principle of action. I'd state it like this. Faith-filled service goes beyond requesting more power to believe by acting upon what God has already quested us to do. Let me say it again for you. Faith-filled service goes beyond requesting more power to believe by acting upon what God has already requested us to do. You could even add a little caveat to that, even when we don't see how it could possibly be done. After all, Jesus has just demanded something huge of his disciples. If you want to know why the disciples made this request to Jesus to increase our faith, look back real quickly at verses 3 and 4. Jesus said, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And then Jesus goes on to make this huge statement. If he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying repent, then forgive him. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty hard challenge, isn't it? I mean, you've heard the expression before. Somebody pulls the wool over your eye, fools you once, shame, shame on them, right? Somebody does it twice, shame on who? You. It's hard to forgive somebody, much less two times, three times, or seven times. Jesus tells his apostles, somebody does you wrong and repents, forgive them. No matter how many times they hurt you. And this is when the disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. Now you might think that this is a super spiritual request at first, right? I mean, who wouldn't pray to Jesus, increase my faith? But when you stop and think about what the disciples are saying, I think it's something far less than super spiritual. In verse 4, Jesus commanded the disciples to forgive multiple times without holding a grudge, overlooking the evil done by someone else. Their response to this demand is almost one of desperation, isn't it? Well, Jesus, if you want me to do that, you're going to have to provide me some help here. Translation equals, Lord, increase our faith. Right? I mean, Jesus, you sure you know what you're asking us to do? I'm not sure if I can do this. Jesus, you're going to have to help me out. Jesus tells them in response to this request that if they had faith, like a mustard seed, they would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Jesus told them, in as about as nice a way he possibly could, that the problem was that they didn't seem to have a real faith to begin with. Notice they said, increase our faith. Jesus said, if you had faith like a mustard seed. I mean, you can't get much smaller than a mustard seed, can you? And yet Jesus says, guys, look, you keep saying increase my faith. 
I just want you to have faith. It's simple, but yet it's difficult. Jesus told them that they didn't need more faith, but that they needed to act upon the command that he had given to them. Faith is expressed in obedience always. It's a principle of action. Faith-filled service requires that you actually do something in service to God. When it related to the disciples' specific challenge, they needed to forgive. Understand, Jesus didn't say, I'll give you faith and then you can forgive. Jesus just said, forgive. And when they would practice forgiveness... The faith that they needed in God's grace to forgive someone else who had hurt them would manifest itself. Jesus told them that they didn't need more faith. They needed to do something with the little faith, even if it was smaller than a mustard seed, that they already had. In effect, Jesus is teaching, if you want more faith, if you want to increase your faith, then you must increase your service. You must increase your obedience to His commands. I think Jesus kind of goes over the top here with this fantastic and really kind of crazy illustration. He tells His disciples, guys, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could talk to a bush and tell it to go grow in the water and it would do what you say it would do. I don't know about you guys, but I had never gone outside and looked at a bush in the flower bed and say, hey, go be planted out in the pond at Stewart Park. And I'm probably not going to. If I do that, you might need to look for a new pastor, all right? Um, but what's Jesus saying? I mean, Jesus himself is the one who said this, so what is he talking about? If you tell this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, it would obey you. Jesus was challenging his disciples, not at the point of faith, but at the point of obedience. Not one of the disciples, after Jesus made that statement, looked at a mulberry bush with faith, believing that God would uproot it and be planted in the sea, and said, all right, let's test out Jesus' words. Hey, mulberry bush, move. Not one of them did it. Why? Because they didn't really listen to what Jesus had to say. They thought it was too difficult. They thought it was too hard. They thought it was just impossible. That there's no way it could ever be done. It kind of reminds me of this scene um, in a movie. I grew up watching the Star Wars movies all the time. Anybody else a Star Wars nerd, Star Wars fan? Good, we've got several of you out there. And, uh, man, i got to get the numbers right here. So it's movie number five, but it was the second movie that came out, Empire Strikes Back. If you've, if you've never seen the movie, here's what happens. Luke Skywalker, this Jedi in training, has crashed his spaceship, his X-Wing, into a swamp, and it's just been sinking in this water hole. And Yoda, this little green Jedi master, is trying to teach Luke the ways of the Force, right? And so Yoda has been teaching Luke how to move these rocks, how to, how to pick them up in the air. They start floating, and Luke can stack them on each other. Well, all of a sudden, Luke's spaceship starts to sink deeper into the bog, and he loses his concentration and focus and all of these rocks that he's been lifting up in the air with this weird force power, they fall, crash down to the ground. And Luke goes over to his spaceship and he's like, oh, 
We're never going to get it out now. And, uh, and little Yoda, you know, Greek Jedi Master's like, you, you've been lifting rocks. You get that up out of the water too. And Luke says, this is totally different. And Yoda, you know, his profound wisdom of the Jedi Master says, uh, no, it's not any different. It's only different in your mind. And Luke goes, okay, I'll try. And then Yoda makes another one of his famous statements. You guys heard this one before, right? Try not. Do or do not. There is no try. It gets better. It gets better. And so Luke tries to lift this spaceship up out of the water with his weird mystical force powers. And he tries. It starts to move. And then it sinks back down into the water. And then he walks back over to Yoda, exasperated you ask for the impossible. And then a little old green Yoda walks out there without saying a word, lifts up his hand, and using the force, this spaceship starts to move up out of the water. And it comes and floats, sits over there on the dry ground so that Luke can take off and leave in it later. And Luke says this, I don't believe it. And Yoda says, this is why you fail. Now look, I'm not telling you that the Christian life is about using some weird mystical force power. And I don't think that's what Jesus was talking to his disciples about either. I think he wanted them to understand the ridiculousness of his illustration. But I think that he wanted them to have absolute faith that God would move heaven and earth to accomplish his will. Do you not believe that God will do that? I mean, just stop and think for a minute about all of the amazing supernatural things Jesus did in the New Testament that would kind of be equated to moving a mulberry bush from the dry ground to be planted in the sea. There's a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, and they run out of wine. Jesus is standing over there, and his mom comes up to him and says, Jesus, they're out of drinks. You've got to do something. Jesus says, okay. He commands the servants to go fill up dish pots full of water. And he turns this water into the best tasting wine these folks have ever tasted in their lives. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Well, you keep going later on in the scriptures. Jesus is teaching multitudes of people. Thousands have come out to hear him. In fact, the estimated number was 5,000 men plus the women and children in attendance that day. They had been so focused on what Jesus was saying. It had gotten later in the day and the people had grown hungry. They were out in the countryside. There wasn't really a restaurant to go to. The disciples surely didn't have enough money to provide food or enough food to distribute. And so Jesus says, what do you have? What can you find? Andrew, one of the disciples, brings up a little boy. And he says, this kid's got a sack lunch over here. He's got some bread and fish. It's not a whole lot. Jesus tells his disciples, you have the people sit down in groups on the grass, about 50 or so. Jesus lifts up the fish and the bread to heaven. He breaks it and gives thanks. And he distributes it to all of the people. They eat until they're full, and then they have 12 baskets of food left over. Pretty incredible, isn't it? Think about the time when Jesus is walking on water. He's not using one of those nifty new little gadgets that you hook up to the jet ski, you know, that can shoot you up in the air. 
He's actually walking on the surface of the water, not sinking, not going to the bottom. How could he do that? Because God is able to move heaven and earth to accomplish his will. Here's where it gets really scary for us. When he asks us to help him accomplish his will by doing something we think is impossible. Remember when Jesus was walking on the water? The disciples see him out of their boat on the Sea of Galilee. And they think it's a ghost at first. And Jesus says, it's just me. They recognize that it's the Lord. But Peter's still kind of in doubt. And he says, Lord, if it's really you, call me to get out of the boat and come out to you on the sea. You guys remember that? Peter begins to walk on water. He sinks because he takes his eyes off of Jesus. But Peter walked on water. There's a member of First Baptist Church in Hoxie who served as an international missionary for several years. And he was talking to me about this passage of scripture. And he said, Jake, what's the first thing Peter had to do to walk out on the water towards Jesus? You know, I, I want to have this super spiritual answer, right? So he had to have faith in Jesus. He said, yeah, but how do we know that he had faith in Jesus? What's the very first thing he had to do? He had to get out of the boat. Faith manifests itself in obedience. If we want more faith, we have to increase our obedience. We have to increase our service. Faith-filled service goes beyond just requesting God for more power to believe in him by acting upon what God has already commanded us to do. The principle of action causes us to move with God even when we don't see exactly how God is going to move. Faith-filled service produces a fulfilled spiritual life. Here's what I want to ask you. What has Jesus been commanding you to do? And you're going, Jesus, you want me to do that? You're going to have to help me out. It's at that point that Jesus is challenging you and stretching you. and He wants you to grow. Sure, he's asking you to spend more time that you don't have to serve more people that you can't keep up with. But if Jesus is commanding you to do it, have the faith to trust him. What is Jesus asking you to do that you think you don't have the resources, the time, the money, the energy, the skill set, the experience to do? What he's asking you to do right there is the place he's wanting you to go. Because that's the place he wants to work. That's the place he's moving. That's the direction he's going. And he's asking you to follow him. He'll move heaven and earth to accomplish his will. The question is, will you lift a finger? Are you willing to do what he's asked you to do? And the second principle for faith-filled service is position. The first principle is action. The second is position. And I'd state it like this. Faith-filled service gets beneath the radar of receiving more praise for personal obedience. By focusing on the position... Of the God who gives the orders. Faith-filled service gets beneath the radar of more praise for personal obedience. By focusing on the position of the God who gives the orders. 
Jesus give, gave his disciples a short parable in verses 7 through 9 about a man who had a slave. The slave had been out working, plowing or tending the sheep, which, by the way, are two of the hardest jobs that we see explained and defined in New Testament Scripture. And it's also the two most common analogies for Christian service. Find that ironic? Farming and taking care of livestock. And so Jesus says, which of you guys who had a slave who's been out working in the fields or taking care of the flocks, when he comes in, is going to say, oh, good job. Thank you so much for doing what I asked you to do. Here, here, here. sit down right here at my place at the table. Let me grab you something to eat and take good care of you. Jesus said, if you guys had a servant, that's not what you would do. If there was a slave in your house... You wouldn't pat him on the back and overly praise him for doing something he was supposed to do. In fact, you would keep expecting him to do more. The things that you had hired him or the things that he was enslaved to do, right? He'd been out working in the fields. He'd been out taking care of the flocks. When he comes into the house, it's not time for him to stick his feet up in the chair. That's time for you to stick your feet up in the chair. You would expect your servant to come over to you and say, All right, master, I've got the dinner in the oven. I'm going to get it ready for you. i got to go clean it up real, real quick, wash my hands, get dressed and everything. I'm nasty from the day. I'm going to come and set the meal before you at the table and take care of you because that's my job. Jesus said, if you guys had a servant, that's what you would expect. That's what he should do. The master of a slave did not reward obligatory behavior We need to realize that God does not bow down to us in worship when we do the normal work of service in His kingdom. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, just stop and think about this. What do you really think is going to impress God that much? He gave His only begotten Son to die on the cross for your sins and for the sins of the world. You think anybody's going to outdo the service Jesus has done for us? In no way. And so when these disciples hear this parable, it probably stuck them right in the heart. They're asking Jesus, increase our faith and we'll be happy to forgive people. And then they, they would like to think, well, Jesus, it was hard. Man, it was tough. But man, that person that cut me off in traffic the other day, Jesus, I finally forgave him. I just want you to know I let it go. You think... That Jesus, the one who's hanging up there being crucified for the sins of the world, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You think he'd be impressed with that? Jesus is telling his servants that they'll find fulfillment through faith-filled service if they won't worry about receiving praise for what they do from other people or even from the Lord. But if instead they'll focus on the God who is on the throne giving them the orders. If God has a good plan and a good purpose for every one of His followers, don't you think He wants to bless His followers? God's not going to ask you to do something that is bad for you. He might ask you to do something hard. He might ask you to do something that you think is really difficult and even impossible. But God always wants what is best for His children. He's a perfect father. And don't tell me you don't know what that's like. You had a dad who said, 
you know what? I know you're not going to understand this now, but it's for your own good. If imperfect fathers could do that for us, surely a perfect father in heaven knows what he's doing. When he challenges us, when he commands us, when he gives us orders, when he stretches our faith, when he asks us for more obedience, when he asks us to serve him in a greater and deeper way. Here's reality, folks. God has the right to give Christians commands. After all, we're his slaves, his servants. He purchased his people with the blood of his own son. God deserves respect from his servants. His salvation demonstrates real love. He's not an authoritarian dictating tyrant who's just trying to smash people down and make them feel bad about themselves. He loves everyone. We all know that God's not a taskmaster who abuses his servants. But are we, as servants, ones who regard him as the holy king that he is? Or do we start to kind of, whoa, 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 Throw our hands up in protest. Jesus, that's too much. I know you gave your life for me, but man, you're asking me to shell out another $20 bill. Jesus, that's a little much. Jesus, you're asking me to give another two hours. I don't know if I can do that. Jesus, you're asking me to go and talk to one more person. If we have to have an audience to thank us, for our righteous activities, then we'll not have the faith to treat God with respect and to trust God in obedience when no one else around us will. Jesus is also telling his disciples and his apostles here to keep serving him in faith even if nobody else notices. And he says, even if they do notice, don't think of yourself so highly. Just simply say, I'm an unworthy slave and I've only done what God's wanted me to do. Jesus says, you'll find more fulfillment there than you will in ever receiving a reward from people or ever being thanked by folks around you. Just do what you ought to do and give God the glory. It's the principle of position. Faith-filled service gets beneath the radar of receiving more praise for personal obedience by focusing on the position of the God who gives the orders. He's the king. Just do what you ought to do and give God the glory. It's called obedience. And it's what Jesus did. It's what Jesus did. In verse uh, 10, Jesus made sure his disciples got the picture. He didn't try to put things in fine print. He said, when you do all the things which are commanded you, when you do all the things which are commanded you, then you can say we're unworthy slaves. We've done only that which we ought to have done. Are you doing all that Jesus has commanded you to do? Because Jesus is your Lord and Master? Listen, I know that there are people in positions and places of authority in this world that treat those under them like garbage and trash. But that's not the kind of God and King and Lord and Master that we serve. 
We serve Jesus, the same Lord who bent down on his hands and his knees and took up a towel and washed his disciples' feet, doing the task of the lowliest job of the servant in the house. We serve the same Jesus who is willing to give his own life for us on the cross. Do we have the same attitude in us that is found in Christ Jesus? Jesus, who himself took upon the form of a servant, even though he existed in the likeness of God, he didn't account equality with God like something he had to rob or steal. He took upon himself the form of a servant, became obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Faith-filled service produces a fulfilled spiritual life. So I've got three prayer requests, four prayer requests for you this morning in closing. And these are big ones. And God may be calling you to do some of these things, to stretch your faith and to stretch your service and obedience. He may be calling somebody else. But I at least figured it was biblical to pray for these things, right? First, we need a transportation leader at our church. We've got a great transportation committee and a lot of good folks who have been helping us haul students and children all over this county. But we need somebody who will step up and lead this entire ministry. Here's why I say that we need this person. And I think that the Lord will provide this person too, by the way. Right now, we have 11 adult and well, I guess a couple of these are teenage college students, so if we classify them as adults, 11 folks who are committed to driving or riding on church vans every week on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights to pick up kids and youth. we got another four that I can call almost all the time and say, hey, so-and-so can't make it tonight, could you help us out? 15 people involved to go pick these folks up, bring them to church and take them back home afterwards. On Wednesday nights, we're running either eight or nine van routes to pick up and drop off children and youth on our 315 passenger vans. On Sundays, there's another two or three routes, just depending on how many folks we got to pick up, take home. So right now on our list, there's 67 kids and teenagers who need to come to church and who need rides back home. Say, Jake, we really have to do that? Well, let me give you this statement and then you tell me. Out of these 67 that we are picking up and taking home right now, 19 within the last year and a half have been saved and baptized in this church. You tell me if we don't need to be doing it. Look, I know how difficult this is. Trust me, I've been there. Lord, increase our faith, right? What does Jesus want us to do? Increase our obedience. Increase our service. So pray that the Lord would call a transportation leader to step up and head up this ministry. Second prayer request. We need a kitchen leader. A kitchen leader. We're feeding about 175 students and children on Wednesdays. That number might be a little, little high or low. And about 120 on Sunday evenings, right before our worship service. We have more people in Sunday night worship than in the last 10 years I've been at this church. 
At least four adults have come to a Sunday night worship service as a direct result of the meal that we offer before. Because they'll come and eat, and then eventually they'll stay. These are unchurched adults, unchurched families. You tell me if we don't need to do it. We need somebody to step up and lead there. Maybe God's calling you. Maybe he's calling somebody else. Let's pray that God would provide that person. A third, we need a preschool director. Many of you know that our church has a preschool across the street, back here on 2nd on Street. Ms. Wavon Smith has been working at the preschool for 38 years. She's going to be retiring in December of, of this year. December 28th will be her last day. We need somebody to continue to lead this ministry. Um, here's, here's just a little bit of what I've got for you, um, according to some estimate from our preschool committee. We employ about 8 to 10 folks over there. Those who work with child, uh, child care and those who work with preschool daycare. And depending upon enrollment, depending upon which, which children are which in, in which age group, there's at any time between 42 to 46 children that we're providing daycare, child care, preschool for. And we've got a waiting list that's a mile long. Now here's where the cool stuff comes in too, Right? Just, try, just think, if you would, about 42 to 46 kids over 38 years. How many folks in this community we've ministered to? Parents who have to have a place to send their child where they can be loved and hear about Jesus while they're at work trying to provide for their family. Children who get to grow up knowing Bible stories and songs about Jesus. I've personally led two of these to Christ later in life as teenagers. And I've baptized at least five of them all together right here in this church. Listen, that, that's just what I could think of. You tell me. Well, Jake, that's, that's too hard, it's too much. No. I'll tell you right now, God is at work and he's moving. and He's asking us to step out in faith by obeying him. Maybe there's somebody even in this church who has a background in elementary early childhood education and God's calling you to step up and to move that direction maybe they're not within this church but we do ask that God would provide for us in faith as we continue to step out in obedience and serve him in this ministry and the fourth is this we need more Sunday school teachers adult Sunday school teachers listen and hear me out really well we're doing a superb job as a church body of reaching children and teenagers, aren't we? Man, dude, you guys should have said amen. If you didn't say anything else in the service, you should have said amen right there. I'll give you one more chance. We're doing a great job of reaching children and teenagers, aren't we? Amen. And so for those of you who work with children and teenagers, thank you. I mean thank you. Your reward's in heaven. It's not from me saying thank you from this pulpit. Remember that. We got uh, Bryce and Long's doing a great job with our children. Coy's just come on board as our youth minister. We're thankful for both of those guys. But folks, there's lost adults in our community, in our county, just like there's lost children and teenagers. And here's, here's kind of the point we've come to, not just in our church, but across the Southern Baptist denomination, across Arkansas Baptist churches. Churches are still seeing, the ones that are seeing growth are by and large seeing growth in their children's and youth ministries but they're not seeing huge growth as they try to reach out to adults. Now, part of that's because adults are just harder to reach. 
Let me just think about it. The longer that you live without Jesus, the easier it is to go, well, I don't need him, I don't need him, I don't need him. But here's reality. Adults can still be saved. Think of the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. Think of the thief on the cross in Luke chapter 23. Adults still need to come to know Jesus Christ. I think a really good way to do that is through a Sunday school ministry of the church. And listen, I know when you hear the word Sunday school teacher, you think of people like Ken Startup, this great monstrous theologian who could stand there and preach to Jake and out-preach him any day. But look, here's what a Sunday school teacher is. It's somebody who spends time with God and His Word, studying over their lesson, and then they choose to commit themselves to loving that group of people in their Sunday school class and reaching out to the folks in those circles. Say, man, I I don't know. I don't know if I could if I could do that. Man, can you read the Bible? Yeah. You pray to the Lord? Yeah. Can you spend time studying and preparing a lesson? Yeah. Can you take just a little bit of time out of your week to make some phone calls and talk to people and encourage them in their own Christian walk and help them to live a life faithful to the Lord? Yeah. You could do this. You could. The Lord may be wanting you to step out in faith by obeying Him and answer this call to lead a Sunday school class, to reach out to more adults in our community. Those are the four things I'm asking you to pray for. And I'm going to be real honest with you this morning. Here's why I'm asking you to pray for these things. Because I think a lot of times, as your pastor, and a lot of times as a Christian who follows Jesus, I felt like the Lord wants us to do something as a church or the Lord wants me to do something as his follower. And what do I do? I throw my hands up more. Jesus, <laughs> you want me to do that? You're going to have to help me out. Jesus, you want our church to do that? You're going to have to increase the faith of your people. Jesus, I don't really see the way that this is possible. I'm tired of throwing my hands up acting like Jesus can't do what he wants to do. Listen, Jesus has saved you, you, a sinner, a lost sheep who was astray, his enemy, he's brought into his kingdom to be his servant, to be called his child. If Jesus can save you and can save me, Jesus can save anybody, can he not? And he wants to save more and more people. And he's asking us as his followers, he's asking us as a body of believers, as First Baptist Church in Walnut Ridge, to do some things that are hard, and some things that are tough, and some things that are difficult. It's not always going to be easy, but it is not impossible. We have a God who will move heaven and earth to accomplish his will. And above anything else, he wants more people in his kingdom serving him and following him faithfully so that when we get to eternity all together, we can look around at each other and not say, thank you, you did such a great job, but to say, praise the Lord. He saved us. When you serve out of faith, you find the most fulfilling life you will ever experience. How is Jesus asking you to step out in faith and serve him?
Just do it and give him the glory. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you're here this morning and the Lord's been asking you. He's been putting something on your heart and speaking to you about a place where you need to serve him in this church or in this community to to take the light of the world out into the dark places and to reach those who are walking around in darkness. Maybe this morning you need to come and say, Jake, I believe this is what God's asking me to do. Will you help me walk through that and figure out how to step out in obedience and do what he's called me to do? Maybe you need to come and kneel in prayer at this altar because you know God hasn't called you to do any of those four things that I gave to you earlier, but you know He's called somebody to. And you just need to spend some time in prayer asking that God would put it on the person's heart to step out in faith and obedience in that way. Or maybe you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus as Lord. He's not a cruel taskmaster. He's the most loving king you'll ever find. A king that loved you so much he gave his life. For you. And if you'll come to him today and ask for forgiveness of your sins, even if you've done something seven times, up to 70 times seven, even more than that, he will forgive you. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life today, come see me right here and right now during this song of invitation. I'll be standing down here if you need to speak with me. Maybe God's speaking to your heart in another way this morning. Perhaps you need to join our church. Maybe he's asking you to do something else. Maybe he's asking you to surrender your life to ministry, to be a pastor or a missionary or a youth minister. As God calls you this morning, would you come to him?